So, Kane. Yeah. What the fuck is yoga? <laughs> I've been wondering that myself. <laughs> I, I mean, at this point, what is it? What does it mean? Because it's... There's acro yoga, there's anusara yoga, there's raja yoga, there's hatha yoga, there's booty yoga, there's hip-hop yoga. What else is there? There's dog Yin yoga. Yin yoga, dog yoga, naked yoga. <laughs> what else is there? There's, I mean, it's, so the common denominator basically is yoga postures, right? Right. These positions that we put ourselves in. But what the fuck is yoga? Really? <sighs> I think in terms of the common expression right now in, in our culture and in most of the world, it's, uh, it's an exercise system to, to kind of make you fit and cute. No, you gotta fit into Lululemon pants. It's, make, it's about making you fit into Lululemon pants. So if basically. you force me to define it, yoga is a cute girl in some Lululemon pants with nice triceps. Sure. At least that seems to be what's conveyed through the marketing. Right. You can do really deep backbends and take pretty Instagram photos. I mean, like if you if you just if you just learn about what yoga was. If I were right? an alien and right. I came, <laughs> came to the America and I've been here for like <laughs> a few weeks, I've been on Facebook, Instagram, right, Twitter, right. And, I've, and I've thumbed through Yoga Journal, and you're asking me what is yoga? Right. Then I would say, yeah, yoga is a thin, twenty-five-year-old blonde girl on a beach in Costa Rica <laughs> <laughs> doing a pose that makes her butt look cute while taking a selfie. Right. With a mala beads hanging off her neck. Right. And Natarajasana. Right. Right? Yeah. And I would think, okay, well that's a, that's an exotic form of exercise that mm -hmm. beautiful people do. Right. Beautiful, skinny. Right upper middle class white people. <laughs> I'm glad you said that one. Though. <laughs> I mean, it's like, if we're not putting any sensors on, on the conversation and we're just sort of talking behind the scenes uh -huh. and being irreverent and... Right, we're not recording this right now, right? No. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think? Um, if you're an alien, you just look, came to this planet and Yeah. Stretching, uh -huh. people being in uncomfortable positions and breathing at gyms. About it, it's, it seems like another image to take on. You know, there's like remember in the nineties, it's like hip hop, right? Right. <laughs> it's like you're all hip hop. You wore these baggy pants and you wore these like ha you wore the hat sideways and you listen to hip hop and you talked you know like hip hop lingo and you know you drank a forty in a paper bag and smoked weed. <laughs> <laughs> Even if you were from the suburbs, you went ghetto. Right, 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 right. It was an aesthetic. It was an image. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's it kind of like a, that, right? It was a right? vibe. Yeah, yeah. So now the new aesthetic is to have the yoga style. Right. Yoga style, yoga pants, yoga lifestyle, drinking live juice, have a membership at a yoga studio, you do yoga poses, you go to yoga workshops, you eat organic, you have a Prius. What else? Uh, you strongly oppose all of the things that don't agree with your new chosen dogma. Right. right. Like meat eating and... Oh yeah. 
can't eat meat. Mm -mm. Uh-uh. Guess we're not yogis. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, you know, it's it's. I think it's important to point that out, right? That it's that's actually kind of part of what's happening culturally. And there's not. I'm not saying that that's like intrinsically wrong or anything like that. Because actually, there's a lot of positives to people exercising or getting fit or doing breathing exercises or meditating or creating community around these things. It's fine. But yeah, but at the end of the day, it seems that it's an ego glorifying process. Mm -hmm. And I've had numerous people who weren't yoga students explain to me the experience they had of going to a yoga studio Right. to inquire about taking classes yeah and numerous people have told me that they felt uncomfortable going to a yoga studio hmm. because they felt that either they weren't like beautiful enough or skinny mm -hmm. enough mm -hmm. or that there was an kind of in-grouping and out-grouping <coughs> vibe in terms of oh, of the culture like oh you don't these people were not cool like, enough they weren't on like, the train yet yeah, yeah they weren't eating organic yet they didn't mm -hmm. they weren't uh, raw vegans they weren't Whatever, so they, they felt very uncomfortable and they felt like a sense of judgment and then chose to uh -huh. not actually take up yoga classes because right. the, it was uncomfortable for them socially. Right. Not right. just, not, not even physically in terms of what they did with their body, just the right. social vibe of it. And my first response is it, it made me really sad, but I, mm. could, I could totally see that because right. I felt that myself. I never have participated in that in-grouping and out-grouping right, as right. a yoga teacher. I never taught from one particular school or whatever. I always have done my own thing. Yeah, likewise. Yeah. Right, but like going to conferences mm -hmm. and being around the yoga world, you definitely feel that mm -hmm. you're either part of this or that club or, or, you're, or right. you're not. And that happens right. a lot. Right. And, you know, to me it just feels like a high school dance or something where mm -hmm. like the cool kids are off in the corner and the uncool kids are over in the, the side and uh, it's very obnoxious to me mm -hmm. this whole thing how how this expresses mm -hmm. as part of the landscape of what yoga has right. become right right um for me at least it, it prompted yeah to push that's interesting i never even like noticed that aspect of it because i'm kind of oblivious to that element sometimes because when i go teach i just kind of go teach and i just kind of leave and I'm in my own world very often, yeah. so I didn't always notice the sort of social clicking and the social hierarchies that might possibly, obviously you must, right? I mean, in the context of like a, a yoga studio, there's a social hierarchy amongst, like between the students and the teachers, obviously the teachers have this sort of position. And then in the larger yoga world, you have the yoga superstars and, you know, the yoga journal teachers and, and the normal, like, you know, yoga center teachers. And, right, so it's, and then newly you know, graduated you know, teacher training students. Right, right, right. Still right. a little, you know, mm -hmm. green. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it, it exists. And, and I mean, you know, like you said, there's nothing intrinsically wrong about this. And I think this sort of uncensored conversations about just calling things out and about giving language to things that are happening yeah. that certainly have nothing to do with what yoga might imply as a practice of self-cultivation mm -hmm. but they've become part of the landscape of what yoga is in its expression in in modern times and especially in western capitalistic right. culture right and we need to talk about it because if mm -hmm. you and i don't talk about it we're gonna go nuts because mm -hmm. it's super annoying to see it being perpetuated mm -hmm. and capitalized on right not only is it happening but actually the industrial complex of yoga 
capitalizes on image consciousness and narcissism mm. right, right. and body obsession Ooh. and all of this shit. Did you just say all that? Oh I did. <laughs> <laughs> as long as we're not recording. <laughs> and and it, it's, you know, as a yoga teacher, it's really annoying to have to contend with that because it's part of the psychological experience mm. of yoga students. They're right. bringing that to the table right. if they've been online and they've been steeped in all of this and they're bringing mm. it to the table. Mm. And it's easy to, like you said, to take on the yoga facade and, yeah. and it's really an uphill battle to try to mm -hmm. teach some of the yogic technologies, which at their core are attempting to at the very least, show you that you actually are doing this process of narcissistic self-identification and at, at, at the other end of it mm -hmm. to dismantle that mechanism inside right. of you. Right, right. But you could use it for the opposite. You could use it to sort of, you know, perfectly formulate yeah. your new spiritual right character right right, right which right. is what i see happening yeah really often yeah that's that's something really important to look at i agree in terms of how are we actually appropriating i mean yoga is going to be appropriated it is being appropriated one way or the other how are we going about that process what's the impact of it and what's the consciousness behind it right because it's like you can take anything and make it sort of anything in a sense right you can take yoga and depending on your intention and your mindfulness around it and your cultural filter you can use it to actually be something that's self-liberating ultimately or you could use it as something that increases sort of your identification with the false self-image that you're constructing that puts you even deeper into the hole in some ways mm -hmm. so it, that's something that's important to to look at right because in a sense it's like okay what what, what is yoga is it something that has innate goodness built into it you know just because you do yoga does it make you more enlightened does it you just just by you paying whatever 20 something bucks or 100 something bucks you know per month and you go to yoga membership and you're just doing yoga every day does that inherently lead to a particular result of goodness in your life i mean right maybe it does for some people i don't know but yeah yeah i think it's pretty neutral i think mm -hmm. the prior talk was about you know energy about prana right. i think yoga is pretty neutral in a sense like if you don't have view teachings and you just start applying yogic technology, it's like the results can be very mixed. I mean, you're right. going to, you're going to, based on, on the law of repetition compulsion, yeah. you're going to charge and regenerate right, your right. basic assumptions. Yeah. Now they're just, now they just have a yogic flair. Mm -hmm. it, it, an analogy would be like you take your basic set of cultural biases and conditioning mm -hmm. and you move to a new country right. and you start speaking a new language you mm -hmm. might take on some new aspects of expression yeah and they might be in a different language they might have a different accent but your the way that you are conditioned isn't necessarily mm -hmm. going to change it can change but it takes some amount of yeah yeah personal yeah. self-reflection well, a, a good point i think so basically the, the example i'm coming up with is like if you're a perfectionist coming into yoga you use yoga as a way of becoming more perfect or trying to like sort of, it becomes a tool for your perfectionism. It's going to express whatever innate kind yeah. of biases yeah. you bring to the uh, door. Unless you're using the yoga in a way, which is I think what I was meant to be used in a sense to deconstruct and self-reflect on those types of habituations right. and seeing and observing if, you know, at what level is it beneficial and what level is it, is it compulsive and based on old habituations or trauma and how can you use the practice to soften or bring balance to those type of psychological, emotional, or physical tendencies, 
and then yoga can become used for a tool to improve or balance out, you know, some sort of extreme tendencies or, you know, patterns we might be running. But if you don't, it just becomes a tool for that particular, you know, destructive tendency or negative tendency. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like it's just, go it's going to express the same patterning with a new mask. Right. Right. It's just, you see it so frequently mm -hmm. in, in the yoga world. Like it can be the most elaborate and beautiful like the aesthetic is beautiful who, who doesn't want to be beautiful and have a nice body and be healthy right but if you solidify your narcissistic game by perfecting it through this elaborate system of movements and breathing exercises and even meditations without right. noticing it, it it it's sort of like it's like believing your own fool's gold like right? right. you come up with something that is supposed to actually give you the authentic experience of your own original nature right your sort of preconditioned you mm -hmm. know awareness state of body and mind right and you end up with like with a fabrication that's so well fabricated that you yourself don't even know that it's a fabrication right and i mean since we're ranting i see it quite often with yoga teachers in the yoga world like it's once you start teaching and you get into the public eye you really have to solidify your presentation mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. <clears throat> and it's it becomes more difficult to see yourself clearly because you're constantly seeing yourself through the filter of how you need to be seen right. to uphold your reputation as and a yoga to teacher. Market yourself. I mean, but see, I think that's a difficult thing that <coughs> I, I have, you know, being a yoga teacher myself, I have empathy for, I guess, parts of myself and other people who go through that because I do understand that inevitably we live in a, you know, the time period of the merchants. I mean, we have to do everything to make money survive or not these wandering sadhus that get fed and taken care of you know, and you know we do little rituals or something for people or blessings it's we have to actually teach yoga classes and uphold the business and run our business and we're independent contractors and we're sort of running our own business so you have to actually manage that business to some extent which has it's a lot of pressure to it if you're going to pay rent and eat food right so yeah, but like, you don't, you mm -hmm. know, in doing that, you know that all of that is a necessary part of, mm -hmm. of being a business person. So you're not, there's no facade around it. You're being, you're being yourself right. on every aspect of it from the mm -hmm. cl class time to updating our websites or yeah. sending a newsletter or whatever. Yeah. But it's when, it's when you actually believe that you're, you're that character who stands in front of the room right. and portrays a certain... A certain level of attainment or a certain a certain way of being yeah that to convince the students of something that isn't actually real right and it, i mean you call it spiritual bypassing or whatever but you, you, we see it a lot in the in the industry of yoga where teachers don't actually use the yoga to face themselves because they have to spend most of their time projecting their image so mm -hmm. that the students mm -hmm. buy it and believe it Right. And often, I mean, I've had many colleagues who just, they frankly stop practicing. Right. Because now their teaching schedule is super busy. Mm -hmm. I mean, this is kind of like on the other side of the yoga experience in terms of like right. the student Being experience. But we're talking about what is yoga, like yeah. teacher and students co-arise. So the teachers and the students are, are cooperating yeah. in, into a field yeah. that yeah. can perpetuate yeah. itself. Right, right, right. That's, that's not the teacher's... I'm not like yeah. saying it's a fault of a teacher or a student. I'm just saying that there's there's a certain phenomenon that's occurring. No, yeah, it's true. And was, we're participating right. in it. Uh, and we, yeah. yeah, and I was just thinking about how students contribute could contribute that to that too. It's like, because 
you know, this is the whole thing about being an educated consumer, in a sense. It's it's like we're so on the superficial level with how we consume things in general, right? Like, for example, if you're consuming food, very often a good part of the population doesn't think about where the food's from. You know, how that, what's the impact of consuming that food? You know, how does that affect what we're consuming? So, we're consuming yoga, right? We go to yoga classes, we buy yoga-related materials, and it's like, what are we supporting, number one, you know? And how is that impacting the industry? How is that impacting teachers? I mean, yeah, that conversation. That, that's a not, whole other topic that's never talked about. It's never talked about. No. It's like, as a consumer, as a, yoga, as a yoga student, which teachers are you supporting? And what does that teacher really represent? And what is yoga? And actually researching what that is. And what are we actually getting as a product? And how are we influencing the overall tide of, you know, um, the industry of yoga as a consumer, right? Because... I mean, I would think in India, for example, back in the day, I mean, so like kings and royalty and, you know, merchants and different people supported the yoga or like spiritual traditions, right? Mm -hmm. And then they, they sort of supported them, I think partially for status reasons, you know, but also I, I imagine certain people were benefactors because they wanted to maintain the integrity of certain valuable teachings or traditions. Mm -hmm. They wanted access to the teachings often. Too. As well, too. Yeah, yeah. So, but I think as consumers of yoga in the modern day, it's important for us to think about, okay, the way that we're consuming yoga and supporting yoga, what is that going to lead to down the line? Mm -hmm. Like what kind of yoga are we perpetuating and what are we losing out on? Or what are we, how many, you know, awesome yoga teachers who have really high integrity and good content, you know, are just not making it, you know, and they're going to stop teaching, mm. you know, and how many, you know what I mean? Like how are we affecting sure. that whole yeah, like what, Flow, are we, right? what are we perpetuating? Right. I think that's kind of important to think about and no one talks about that. No. I haven't I mean, even thought about it so much until just now too as we're talking about yeah, it. Yeah, it's not talked about in, in business. Like when we do the classes and teacher training programs, there's always yeah. like a business section. Right. And we usually don't... I've never heard this discussed. We talk yeah. about, you know, integrity. We talk about, but not necessarily about the the industry of yoga in terms of a collective consumption right. and how all of our choices and actions have mm -hmm. an effect yeah i mean i think that there's now starting to be some crossover in terms of like sustainability and yoga you see you see some stuff with that right like companies that make yoga mats are starting to become more aware of what the mats are made out of like is mm -hmm. that are the materials sustainable right are they recyclable that kind of thing but i think what you're talking about is way bigger this is much more of like the cosmology that we share in 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 a capitalistic society where like you said yoga is a commodity in a sense right. and we're consuming it but yeah. what's the effect what's the effect of that yeah, yeah. i mean there's a innumerable effects mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. uh but i feel like it's 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 coming to a head in a sense that in in a sense that we're being forced to admit that there's more going on in this thing called yoga than maybe we realized in the 80s or mm -hmm. whatever that okay it seems innocuous that we're going to do some stretching and chant some ohms but as that whole system tradition integrates into our society it has a major major effect from mm -hmm. from injuries to people having to wrestle with their own judeo-christian cosmology and right. figure out what aspect of yogic philosophy they believe in or not yeah. or or never even going into the yogic philosophy and just using mm -hmm. it as an exercise science or, or a self-reflection tool yeah right i mean i think it often gets used as a therapeutic modality right 
I think the entry points are a form of exercise that makes you look good. Right. And a therapeutic modality that can help you yeah. be in less pain. Yeah, or just feel good. I think a lot of people go to yoga because it feels good. It's mm -hmm. an exercise and then afterwards you get a certain high from it, right? Yeah, I mean, I mean both of those are legitimate, mm -hmm. you know, entry points. Relaxation, right? yeah. Everyone wants to look good and feel good and right, if you right. can address your look, yoga pains. Look good, feel good. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> New marketing, yoga. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, what else is yoga? Hmm. Yoga is silence. <laughs> <laughs> yoga is stillness. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, there's the whole meditation aspect of it, and both of us have some background in diving into the yoga philosophy component of it, right? So, yeah, I mean, it, I think that's a big part of what yoga is for us, um, and I'm sure for, for a lot of people out there. You know, I think there's more of a um, momentum towards studying that material these days. Uh, mm. I think people are spending more time in teacher training, breaking that stuff down, or even after the teacher training, people are kind of exploring. You know, what's cool about yoga, though, in a way that some of that stuff has been pulled out is the fact that people are finding ways to integrate yoga as a spiritual practice and really creative and multidimensional ways too. So I definitely want to give credit to like the sort of cavaliers, you know, the creative practitioners who are still spiritual minded. They might not be like studying the Gita and the sutras and the tantric texts and, you know, like studying with a traditional guru from India and getting this sort of really traditional download. But that's not to say that people aren't taking yoga as a spiritual practice in their own unique way mm -hmm. and sort of using it as a tool for self-exploration and self-improvement and, you know, pursuing and exploring what is my true identity. You know, I think that's happening too simultaneously. Yeah. So I think, I think if we f flip the camera around, like we were mm -hmm. sort of doing like, what is yoga from the outside, you know, right. as mm -hmm. an alien looking down at, at our society. Yeah. And then there's all the, the infinite number of yogas that are happening mm -hmm. that are each individual's expression of what that is. And so I think that's an interesting counter take is mm -hmm. that yoga is, is as many things as there are right. people doing right. it. Yeah. Yoga is kind of at this point, you, you can't, you can't fight that definition, right? It's because it's become so diversified in terms of how it's interpreted, practiced, practiced and integrated into people's lives, that yoga is just what it is for that person, in a sense, you know? Yeah, it's just so much more complex, right? It's it's not like you're saying, what are calisthenics? Or, mm -hmm. you know, it, it, mm -hmm. it's not only an exercise system. And f for example, many people who, who do, quote, yoga, don't do any asanas. Right. Like millions of people who practice mm -hmm. yoga mm -hmm. may have no physical practice of Hatha yoga postures. Right. That's not very common outside of India right. or outside of, you know, Asia in general. Mm -hmm. But as we know the the origins of the tradition of how many different types of yogas there are, it could involve a person as a tabla player and they practice bhakti. Yeah. And their meditation is music, you know, right. sung and offered to mm -hmm. their particular personal representation of the divine. And right. that's absolutely a yoga practice for that person. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, so I think that 
part of the reason it's so difficult to define, you know, what the fuck is yoga right. is that there's so many factors to how that fall under the definition of yoga that are totally different. And many of them have no cultural representation traditionally uh -huh. in, in at least Western culture since the industrial revolution. Mm -hmm. Maybe they had cultural representation pre-industrial revolution, right. but since then, they're not necessarily a part of the cultural landscape, so they're hard to define. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And um, I think bringing more of that into the conversation helps make the landscape of yoga more rich. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Having yeah. more voices. I mean, maybe it would be really interesting, listeners, if you want to, mm. you know, make comments or chime in in the comment section. What is yoga for you? Right. And I, you know, I think uh, we'll get a lot of really interesting <laughs> definitions. Right. 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 Because there's a. I mean, there's like how we perceive yoga culturally as a sort of from the mainstream perspective, you know, like we were discussing earlier, then there's sort of the traditional quote unquote definitions of yoga. Right. And then there's the sort of, you know, even me and you, we're not necessarily traditional practitioners even, right. Right? even though we reach back towards reading and studying and exploring more of the traditional references to yoga and applications the way that we're adapting it, interpreting it, and practicing it is not completely in alignment with that context necessarily even, mm -hmm. right? So... Yeah, the way we're teaching it and mm -hmm, mm -hmm. we teach within the context of the culture we're yeah, familiar with. Yeah, I always get scared that some like Indian yoga guru is going to show up in my class and like call me out and... <laughs> <laughs> That's not the right That's mantra. not yoga! <laughs> yeah, yeah. You're not doing it right. You're like, ah, well, I told sorry. you that story... I think it was last week we were talking off recording and I told you that story about when I first started teaching after mm -hmm. I left Hawaii and I came to Arizona and I first started teaching. Right. I mean, we both studied with Das in, yeah. in Hawaii and he teach, yeah. he's teaching this really out there esoteric form of sadhu, sadhu yoga. hatha yoga, yeah. you know, and it's very different than the way most postural yoga is being taught. Oh, right, right. And right. I was just teaching a lot of those things that he that he taught us those sequences and different ways of moving and incorporating mudras and and i started teaching that way and that's really all i knew and i had people walk get up in the middle of my class and interrupt the class and say point blank to me this isn't yoga <laughs> and walk out of my class and leave because what all they knew mm -hmm. of yoga was like was like power vinyasa right and i the first thing i did was i told people don't use a yoga mat no yoga mats, 360 degree directional movement. Don't stay stuck on the, right. you know, on the little square sticky thing. So you can kind of explore your freedom. You know how right. Das would teach us to like, you know, go at all different angles and, yeah. and, and that was really weird for people. And so, right. you know, it's like, I had the experience of people telling me that what mm. I'm teaching isn't yoga. Yeah. And I was young in my teaching career and I felt very confronted yeah. by that because I yeah. thought, what these people are doing in their yoga studio on their sticky mats really isn't yoga right that right. i had sort of found like yeah the real thing yeah. you know and and of course you know i, I had mm -hmm. to come mm -hmm. to the realization that there's mm -hmm. no real yoga right but there is some there's there's some potential with yoga that's greater than just doing sort of postural yoga right that For is the sake a of looking good and feeling good yeah that's yeah. a shame to not at least taste it yeah maybe I, it's not for everybody yeah, but i yeah. feel like that the richness of that tradition is just exactly. a shame to not offer more of it 
I think that's the sentiment that we both share that as we're ranting and being grumpy yogis, you know, and doing this thing. It's like, that's the essence of, I think, why we're grumpy is because I think we both feel that there's more to this. It's so valuable. And it's like, we'd love to see people have more access to the richness and the beauty and the, and the, and the potency of these teachings and this transformational sort of power of these teachings and their more sort of deeper expressions or more multidimensional expressions beyond just the asana. And it feels like a shame. It feels like a bummer. Like people are missing out. And it's like we want people to, to know that there's more there and then have access to that. Right. right. Yeah, absolutely. That's yeah. a that's a good way of <laughs> of saying it. I mean yeah. and I mean there's some selfishness admittedly in that, right? Because I mean, we're all living in this this soup of society, this civilization yeah. that we're co-creating together. Right. And frankly, we need more people who are awake. We need more mm -hmm. people who are in touch with more dimensions of their being than just the outer physical, image-based, egoic, steeped, habitual right. aspect of our humanity. Yeah. Because all of our actions are affecting each other. For sure. And I mean, we have this system, this methodology that has the ability to create deep transformation in people mm -hmm. yeah. through this process of self-reflection and through this process of of working within yeah. and and i mean if we don't create some significant shifts right. in our civilization and if we keep tracking the trajectory that we're on yeah. we're all going to make it much more intolerable to live on this planet together yeah. Yeah. and like yoga is such a great because it doesn't it's not owned by any particular religion or any particular sect or any mm -hmm. particular nation anymore global global yoga is is really the yoga of our time right that its accessibility is one of its greatest traits yeah, yeah. and so in a sense yeah. i feel like as, the, as a community of yoga teachers and yoga professionals it's important to make sure people are at the very least offered yeah. more of the smorgasbord of what yoga is than right. just yeah. This little bit. And, and uh, w earlier when you said, oh, just to be transparent or something like that, you said something like that. And I'm just like, when you said that, the first thing that popped into my head is like, oh, yeah, I actually like my selfish motives that I like to teach that other stuff, like the meditation well, or the, yeah. <laughs> Me the ethics or the virtues or like the power of compassion or mindfulness or those things are so much more interesting for me to teach than yoga poses at this point. Yeah. So I have a personal investment in people being into yeah, that. Yeah, totally, exactly. I, I, I have an agenda here. I'm not, this right. isn't like this to be transparent. selfish. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> we have an agenda. Right. Um, yeah. And, 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 you know, not everyone's going to agree with that, but <clears throat> in a sense, I, I think that there's some like, it's like being a yoga diplomat or something like you're, you're obligated mm -hmm. to at the very least from whatever, you know, to, to at least offer it. Right. And, and to make it available. Yeah. To yeah. make it available, to offer, to, to, to incite a conversation. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, that's earlier when you said, you know, there's some great yoga teachers that aren't going to teach anymore. I think at least the ones who I know who that is the path they chose. The reason they're not teaching anymore is because they got so frustrated right. with the marketplace of yoga being yeah. so limiting yeah, and totally. limited to this this very small expression of yoga right. of just physical postures that they felt like everything else they had to offer, which might have been the 90% tile, right. Right. there was no room for it. Yeah. And they felt stuck and stagnated and, and then they just decided to stop teaching. Yeah, it's a struggle to... Because I mean... As, 
I, I don't know. I mean, I think in the Bay Area, there's a little bit more open-mindedness around that kind of stuff. And even then, sometimes it's, I think, difficult to find an audience for some of this material. Mm -hmm. And then I can't imagine, you know, being in some other places that might be less open-minded in a sense. I mean, it might even be more difficult sometimes to to gain an audience when you and when you want to teach something a little bit deeper than just the postures. Right. I mean, I've had some of my teacher training students when they finished the program, they went to go teach in gyms and different places that mm. had very strict rules about what could be offered. Right. No ohms, no spiritual stuff. Yeah. They couldn't even wear like a mall, like no symbolism, verbal or visual. Right. That's that's remotely Indian. religious. Yeah. 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 And um, even like hmm. the mudras oh. and prayer thing, you know, prayer poems and wow. Pretty interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, it makes sense, but it's well, they have a clientele too. Yeah. <laughs> that makes sense, you know. But it's unfortunate. Hmm. Yeah, but I mean, coming back to what you were saying earlier, in terms of the potential that yoga has, especially when we practice all the limbs or all the aspects of yoga that includes the morality or the ethics and the virtue and the compassion, the mindfulness, the meditation, the sense control. Um, the energy practices, you know, the self-reflection, um, the sort of identifying of the essential nature of mind or being um, and moving from that awareness, you know, things like that have a very potent, I think, social impact. Like people who practice that, I think, have the potential of being agents for social change or, mm -hmm. you know, um, have an impact on the collective consciousness. Maybe that's arrogant for us to say, but it feels that way. I mean, that's, at least that's what I believe. And that's what got me into doing this work versus, you know, working for some environmental organization or because mm. I deduced when I was in college that this is probably the most important thing because everything we do comes from our state of consciousness. Absolutely. So, yeah. so you're saying that yoga technologies have the ability to, to help a person become more self-aware to become less reactive, mm -hmm. to create some sort of change that you think as that person changes, they're more likely to contribute positively to society in yeah. a way that benefits. I think so, because in our culture, for example, I mean, Western culture and American culture is such a strong global influence. And through media and everything, I mean, the, the, the influence that we're having collectively, culturally, on the global consciousness is significant from what I can see you know, with the technology, with media, everything. People watch American movies all around the world. People use American technology, you know, all around the world, right? Social media um, sort of platforms are all from the US too, a lot of them. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, that's a huge impact. And then collectively, when you look at the overall tendency in American culture, there's a tendency towards materialism. There's a tendency towards, you know, unchecked hedonism and, and greed, you know, there's, uh, uh, perpetuation of mentally afflicted states, right? In our popular media, you know, being selfish, being uh, greedy, indulging uh, anger, hatred, you know, bigotry, racism, like all those things are sort of uh, glorified and justified, you know, killing um, so many of those things. And I think with yoga, at least for me, there's an opportunity to say like, okay, let's stop with that for a second. Let's look at what we're doing. Let's become mindful. Let's breathe. Let's become self-aware. What are we doing and what's the impact and how does that feel? You know, what are my thoughts? How's that affecting my body? 
you know, how's that showing up in my relationship? Just to slow down and to just become aware of the subtlety of our being and the impact, you know, getting into our bodies and reflecting on those things and then reflecting on, okay, well, what's the impact of non-harming and compassion and kindness? How does that feel? How, where does that show up in our lives and our practice and our relationships? And I think, and even something like, you know, I, I know Westerners are sometimes we bucket, but like renunciation, self-discipline and selflessness, you know, these types of qualities are, are really encouraged in traditional yogic philosophy, right? As being sort of qualities that make us more happier, become more self-liberated. So we suffer less when we actually embody these things. But in the West, we think the opposite. The more money I have, the more power I have, the more selfishness I embody, the more I'm going to be happy. And so flipping that completely upside down and then trying this sort of other way out in, in, in our own sort of way and ex at least exploring that, I think opens up the potential for us to be a little bit more deep and not just be carried away by the currents of American society and culture and be just indulging in greed and selfishness and a lack of regard and empathy for others, you know, who are different from us. Um, and I think anything that helps us to sort of stop and, and not do that and reflect on what we're doing and be a little bit more self-restrained even through our mindfulness and, and you know, like, okay, what if I didn't just think about myself? Oh, what if I didn't indulge all my desires to the maximum? You know, what if I just actually made my consumption a little bit less and made my lifestyle more efficient and more simple? And what if I was more content with that? You know, I think nowhere else in the culture really is that emphasized, that sort of meme. And if we could even find some balance with that, you know, like in our living, how would that impact the collective global culture, you know, in terms of sustainability, in terms of climate change, in terms of political, you know, economic um, impact, you know, I think that could be significant. Yeah, absolutely. I, I agree. I mean, I think it's a technology that gives people an in, innumerable entry points that all can potentially lead to this space of self-reflection and, mm -hmm. and a kind of self-understanding. Um, and you're right, there, there aren't a lot of, there isn't a lot of support or there is, there aren't a lot of avenues to do that in conventional society. Right. It's not taught in education. You could right. have a PhD in molecular biology. Right. Right. And never have learned anything about self-reflection. You could have mm -hmm. the highest level of education in our system and never learn anything about your own, your own mind right. or your own body. I mean, right. I've, I've met, of course, every doctor has to study uh, uh, infinite amount of anatomy and physiology, mm -hmm. but they don't learn how to feel their tracheal brick brachial radialis or their rhomboids or right. whatever. They of course know where the inferior vena cava is, but can you feel it? Right. It's, it's like, so there's no, even at the highest levels of, of the formulation and cultivation of our society's leaders, right. there's not there's not an avenue for this type of personal development practices. Right. And, and just, yeah. yeah, I mean, it's just the, the fact that that was such an integral part of the societies that, that gave birth to the yogic traditions, even if we just look at, you know, the Taoist traditions of inner cultivation from China and the Buddhist Vajrayana practices from Tibet and the Indian yogic practices, just those three small regions. And we have mm -hmm. yogic practices coming from so many regions, but you look at those, traditional societies and the aspect of 
inwardly focused personal development of one's body, mind, and character, that was that was so woven into every part mm -hmm. of society. It was woven right. into architecture. It was woven into the to the to all of the arts. It was woven into politics. It was woven into almost every part of of life. Right. In a sense, it was like a backbone in a way. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And and I think yoga might be the perfect kind of. Um, model to fit into right. current society because it doesn't have to be connected to any particular religion or, any, right. or even any particular cultural tradition. All of right. these things can be interpreted and implemented within the context of our culture. And I know that's something you and I both try to do in our teaching yeah. is to make it universal. Yeah. Um, and admittedly, that's a, that's a big challenge, I find, yeah, often. Yeah. But I agree that the potential for large-scale social change can happen when the consciousness and patterning of the individual is mm -hmm. worked with and transformed. Basically, mm -hmm. awake people equal an, an awake society. Right. right? If we yeah. want to move toward a more enlightened mm -hmm. era mm -hmm. where we truly care for each other and care for the planet, right. we need to have more people who are actually embodying that in, yeah. in body, speech, and mind and in their daily activities. Right. And there's no shortcut. Like you can't just quantum leap out of your conditioning <laughs> and out of your cultural biases into an enlightened space. You have right. to work with the circumstances of your actual life, mm -hmm. your history, your body, your mind, and all that. Yeah. You have to work with that. Yeah. And that's difficult and it's not comfortable. Right. And to do that, you do have to, to sort of at least downshift it, it, your desire body yeah you have yeah. to slow down you have to downshift a little bit right. and start to say hey what if i say no to that mental yeah. pattern what if i say no to that desire what if i say no to that opportunity right and it's not comfortable yeah and in fact it can be excruciatingly painful to to confront yourself and see yourself right and therein lies what i perceive as one of the biggest obstacles to the application of more of the yoga uh -huh. tradition in our culture is because we don't have a tradition of valuing discipline and personal restraint mm -hmm. in in post-industrial america right. unrestrained gratification of desire is the god mm -hmm. of the post-industrial era yeah and like you said we unconsciously think that that equals happiness right of course it well it's good for the economy man yeah it's good, <laughs> it's good for the economy the growth economy right <laughs> The infinite, infinite growth economy. Yeah, there's no decline. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I think I think that's one of the big, one of the big reasons why all of that other stuff didn't just arrive in the early 1800s when yoga arrived, and develop through the 1900s when yoga right, developed. Right, it got kind of pulled out. Right, it got plucked out because yeah. we don't. I mean, you you know, you take for example, for comparison, Japanese society, just as much technologically situated just as industrialized but the value for personal restraint and discipline in modern japanese society mm. it held mm -hmm. you know it's still such a strong value so you know when i when i see working with people who who have direct contact with different cultural contexts right when i work with students from india who either just moved here or they still when i taught in india yeah they're their connection to discipline, and I work with Japanese students who either still live in Japan or recently moved, right. their connection to the idea of personal discipline and that not everything is about me and not everything is comfortable. Right, or easy or pleasant. Is very different than, yeah. than working with the average 
sort of middle-class American from the suburbs, right, right. it's way harder for that person in general to come to the place of having to discipline themselves even if it's just like, I'm not going to turn on the air conditioner yeah, because you're all sweating. <laughs> and if I blast the air conditioner, we're all going to sort of get sick. Yeah. Yeah. Always the Asian students are like, that's fine. We're used to not having everything we want. Right. And the American students are the first ones to complain. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, oh. I mean, you didn't sign up to be comfortable. You signed up to potentially transform, you know, like, right. And I, so I, you know, I think having right. this conversation and, and at least breaching the topic that right. yoga is not a, 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 ser, a sort of service to your desire body. Right. We need to like, that needs to be on the waiver, you know, at the front yeah. desk of the yoga <laughs> studio, right? This isn't a right. service to your right. desire body. You're not going to be comfortable all well, the time. See, but see, I, you, wow, you just nailed it. But like, yeah, totally. I mean... But see, that's where the conflict exists, is that it's not on the waiver, it's not in the popular media, it's not on Yoga Journal, it's not on... Because it's not popular, it goes against the grain. It's not good for business. It's not good for business, too. So, I mean, it could be, if people really understood the true value of it, because what we're talking about, I mean, I could say from my personal experience, has tremendous value. Tremendous value. Absolutely. You know, if you're looking at value, it has tremendous value. But yeah. your unchecked desire body, my mm -hmm. unchecked desire body, just gets me into more and more trouble. Right. It's, it's like pure dukkha. Yeah. I mean, think about it's one of the classic examples of like one of the old ways that. By the way, dukkha means shit, dookie. <laughs> <laughs> gets you into shit. <laughs> dookie. That's right. It's stinky and unpleasant. <laughs> <laughs> um, the idea the treatment that they were using for smoking, right? The idea of like putting somebody in a room and forcing them to smoke cigarette after cigarette, like an unlimited amount, unlimited uh -huh. access to cigarettes. Right. But like, you can't stop. You have to keep smoking, yeah. right? Or someone who's sugar addicted. It's just uh -huh. like, here, have spoonfuls of sugar right. until you just detest that thing that you desire. Right. It's like unlimited desire has that. It puts that bad taste in your mouth. Every, Good point. Every time. It's, it's like American society and the perpetuation of the of the streams of desire mm -hmm. as all leading to the to the false notion of gratification or satisfaction right it's uh, it's very much made its way into the way yoga is marketed and i mean this is one of the greatest ironies of what the fuck is yoga is that mm -hmm. at the very core of yoga the, the first you know 101 <laughs> first day of 101 is like okay, check your desires mm -hmm. and see where they lead. Right. Like see if you actually get satisfaction yeah. from the engagement with any, with anything that would gratify your desire if that gratification lasts. And of right. course we find it doesn't. It's not to negate that I, I loved eating my quinoa and vegetables for lunch, mm -hmm. but... That's very austere maybe. <laughs> <laughs> but I might have a, you know, hamburger for dinner. Like mm -hmm. whatever it is, the gratification doesn't stick. Right. And so to notice that and then to begin to, to look, look a little deeper, a little deeper. Yeah. Just that aspect yeah. should be on the waiver. Well, it's so fundamental to yoga and it's kind of ridiculous that we do the exact opposite of that. Even a lot of us who are quote unquote yogis or yoginis. Right. We don't even practice or reflect on that fundamental teaching. That's so basic, right? Right. And well, that's, it's because yeah. it's we don't, it's really inconvenient too. I mean, I, mm -hmm. I look at myself, it's like 
that aspect of myself that's conditioned, that aspect of myself that that would would perpetuate its own ignorance. Uh, yeah. It wants to find whatever is most comfortable and gratifying in every single moment. Right. And that's that's its sole intent. Yeah. It's trying to create that in every moment. Mm -hmm. And it always fails, but it keeps doing it. Yeah. And if there's not this other aspect, this discernment or this mindfulness that to show up, to offer another path, mm -hmm. that will basically just be the dominant repetitive pattern pattern yeah because it's so i'll just eat this chocolate i'll just i'm uncomfortable yeah. so i'll just yeah. surf facebook or whatever right. instead of just right. being with my primary discomfort yeah. but yoga and meditation have given me another option mm -hmm. and i by no means have perfected it but at least to know that there's another option yeah and to have the ability to apply it every in myself and every yoga student i've seen who learns that technology and starts to apply it finds out that there's another way that their own suffering is not yeah in dukkha managatam right yeah. it's like future suffering is is yeah, avoidable yeah. yeah but you need to intersect in the moment and choose another path yeah yeah and to do that i think requires like you said you need to slow down you need to get in touch you have to become self-reflective your concentration and your mental stability has to increase right right and you have to have the desire and intention to do so and then you need the perspective or view that's taught to you that puts into context a practice like that, the point of it, why you would do it, how you would go about it, right? what the function of that is. So right. we're talking about, you know, what is it, how you go about it, all of these things. I mean, so what it, <laughs> WTF is yoga. Mm -hmm. So it's a view. It's a way of understanding. Right. It's a way of going about doing things because you have right. to do something in that moment. You yeah. have to then employ some... Method. mechanism yeah. of mindfulness right and then and then something happens from that right and i think the two things that get missed are the view yeah and then the result like we definitely see a lot of methods of yoga being applied without any right. view right i mean we're joking earlier about acro yoga and this sweaty yoga and dog yoga and whatever kind of yoga usually there's no view Right. And there's no connection between view and right. result. And I just want to clarify, we're not saying those things are wrong intrinsically, but it's just if in the larger context of it, if we're looking at it from a, the kind of yogic perspective that we're presenting here, then view becomes integral, right? Because it gives context to the method. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, every any kind of yoga can, can be a yoga that has a view, a method, and a result. Mm -hmm. It's just often the method gets so emphasized Right. That there's no time to contemplate a view, and then we're not paying attention to what is the actual result of doing that yogic method. Right, right. And and there's a lot of confusion around yeah. that. And, and I think that's, even if it seems a little out of context or a little, diff, a little bit difficult to stomach, it's really valuable to actually go through and read the Bhagavad Gita or the Yoga Sutras or, you know, some text because it gives you some context. Mm -hmm. You know, it starts to give you, even if you can't fully take it in or accept it, it gives you a little bit of perspective of, okay, there's this thing called being liberated. There's a, some essential aspect of being and an essential aspect of reality you can have direct encounter with that could be inherently liberating, right? So now engage your practice. Okay, that puts it into a different context. Right. You know? Yeah, it's almost like you don't know mm -hmm. what's possible until you know what's possible. Right, right, right. 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 And you can just explore the practice for what it is. And there's a lot of beauty there, too. And there's some built-in mechanisms of paying attention to the alignment of the body or breath that starts or initiates a process of slowing down a little bit and noticing things. 
but then often, you know, it's not enough or it's, it's just, you can kind of run in that <clears throat> spin in certain places forever without any of you teachings. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You're right. I mean, in a sense, if someone's doing postures and breathing exercises, it might spontaneously arise to them just because they're engaging with the content of right. their experience by doing a body-based practice. So some of the teachings might come. Define view teachings for people just, just so, because I have a feeling maybe some people might just be like, what are you talking about? Yeah, so view teachings are the, the aspect, the philosophical aspect or the mental base, the understanding of what types of, um, what types of cosmologies, what types of beliefs and biases, what it's the observation of your own mental assumptions and your own mental right. framework right. that you bring to anything. And I mean, right. so often what happens is that people go, well, I don't have a view about yoga. Right. Well, we all have a view. We're right. projecting that view onto unknowingly, every, unknowingly yeah. onto everything that we see, everything that we think about, everything that right. we do. And so if you, you haven't consciously yet begun to reflect on your own beliefs, yeah. then doing that is Mm -hmm. fascinating <laughs> mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but at the very least it's important for yoga students to understand that yes you do have a view right and it may or may not coincide with some of the traditional notions right that, that yogic view teachings yeah. were propagating right so it can be interesting to study yogic view teachings yogic philosophy yogic mental framework mm -hmm. not as a something to take on or something to believe but just something to 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 soundboard your own right. beliefs against. To initiate so, a contemplation process. Yeah, yeah, it's like you don't know what you believe until someone presents an option and then you disagree with that option and then you realize, oh, I have a belief and it's different from mm -hmm. that belief. Well, for example, the, the like we were talking about earlier, the worldview or belief that most people unknowingly come into yoga with is that I should try to look as young as I can, healthy as I can physically and try to maintain this body in this form and fulfill as many pleasurable desires as possible in this life. That is the goal of my life. I think that's the unassumed Absolutely. assumption. And then that will bring me the greatest happiness and fulfillment in this life. Right. So to that's, you, the view, that's, right? the that's the view. That's the view. Yeah, that's so the view. If we were analyzing Western industrialized, you know, culture, that's mm -hmm. the view teaching. Right. That's the view teaching of consumer culture. Right. If you analyze that view, so we take all views equal, like uh, I'm certainly not saying one view is better than another, mm -hmm. but it's important to recognize that there is such a thing yeah. as view. Yeah. So if we, and if we can contemplate and break down and, and look at it, penetrate with a sense of curiosity and discernment, mm -hmm. much like a scientist, look at that view, it breaks down very quickly. Is it possible to, to secure an endless expression of of physical youth it is impossible the law of change denies that okay is it possible to attain an endless stream of gratifying moments whereby the objects of our of our sense desires produce with us within us an endless stream an unbroken stream right. of of sort of like happiness or goodness mm -hmm. it is impossible yeah. because the objects of our sense desires are changing they're not reliable right and our body is changing chocolate doesn't always taste great right yeah. Yeah. You don't always want to drink alcohol. You don't always right. want to eat the hamburger yeah. or whatever it is. So yeah. you can't rely on it. So the view teaching of consumer culture it's is not, is not in harmony with reality. Yeah, it's flawed. It's a flawed view. Exactly. Yeah. So, 
So great. We just to me that's a very important right. point. What we just did right there yeah. is is yoga. It, that's a that's a form of yoga. Yeah. I mean, we might call it traditionally jnana yoga or whatever, but yeah, we looked contemplation. We looked yeah. at a belief, and now all of a sudden, if you don't believe that that's true anymore, right? Why are you showing up to yoga class? Right. What's what, the intention? What's yeah. your view now? Yeah. yeah. Well, and I think it's important if, just to rewind a little bit. That's yeah, awesome yeah. what you just said. I love that. And so, view, assumption about reality, for the sake of leading us to happiness apply it method result does it actually work right that view you just said basically what we deduce is that that view when you put it into action doesn't lead to the ultimate result which is happiness right. it doesn't so it's a flawed perspective right, right? so the way it's not you, functional the way you the way you got to that conclusion is by connecting view mm -hmm. looking at the application which we're calling method right and then looking at the fruit the result and right. seeing whether or not it you get what the view you says you're gonna get yeah yeah and you don't yeah I mean it's basically the scientific method I mean this yoga right. this is like a, a major feature of the yogic technology right mm -hmm. is the view method result mm -hmm. model right and it's fantastic because it's like in a couple minutes you can break down the assumption of, of an entire society and right. show how it doesn't really work yeah right I mean it doesn't work for what it is that we're trying to use it for yeah it's not to yeah. say that we're not gonna still enjoy things but right. you don't get the everlasting well, happiness that you're trying to yeah. get yeah well I mean but then if you say we flip you know we just integrate like a, a little bit of a Buddhist or even a you know Hindu quote-unquote uh, Indian Dharma perspective you know it's like okay things are impermanent intrinsically impermanent things are always changing ruled by the forces of change and gunas right right so then if you understand that you accept that you observe it in your practice and your meditation in life and you fully embrace that do you suffer less? Yeah, most likely, right? right? When you when you know that that good thing that you have is gonna go away at some point and you accept that and you enjoy it while you have it and you let it go when it's time to go and you don't freak out about it because you understand that deeply and you've integrated that understanding, you flow with life and you don't suffer as much. Okay, so I'll just give a personal example. So mm -hmm. it's a super hot day. I'm desiring to eat ice cream. <laughs> I get in my car and go to my favorite ice cream shop to get ice cream. And then I realize it's Monday and they're closed on Mondays. <laughs> so I had right. a desire. I wanted it to be fulfilled. I got there and the desire wasn't fulfilled. So the ice cream held the promise of my happiness. Right. But in that moment, if I recognized the law of change was such that that desire can't get fulfilled because the conditions were such that the object of my desire wasn't available uh -huh. and I can still enjoy that experience in that moment i suffer way less than if i just freak out because i didn't get what i wanted right right it's difficult to do that admittedly because yeah. we're we're enculturated in a society that says you're happy when you get you get your desires met right, right. but you can't get them all met because right. of the law of change yeah. and, and then we'll, <laughs> what you just talked about requires a, a deep level of a, a you know higher degree of self-reflection and a, and a certain level of control or mastery over how you respond to situations. First of all, you're not expecting your desires to be met all the time. Already that's an advantage. And then even if that arises, your capacity to ungrip or ungrasp or let go and still accept and embrace the experience as it is, even though it may not fit your ideal, mm. that's very liberating. Mm. But when you're in the belief that your desire, there's a sense of entitlement around my desire should always be fulfilled, and if I'm not, I'm going to throw a fit and be unhappy, then you're going to be throwing a fit a lot. 
you know, you're going to be angry a lot, basically. <laughs> right. And you're setting yourself up for that in a way, right? Right. That's a good yeah. point. Yeah. I mean, so, okay. So what part of that is the method part is having a, a structure, a tool that you can, that you can pull out of your kit in, in that mm -hmm. moment and mm -hmm. say, okay, so one simple application is just like having in our toolkit this this reminder about the law of change. Right. It's like as yogis, every yogi in their pocket can have a little note card, you know, a, a, a metaphorical right. note card in their yeah. pocket that just says, remember the law of change. Yeah. And yeah. and in that moment go, okay, well this is different because everything's different now. I went I right. I showed up for my flight and it's delayed three hours. Well yeah. Of course it's delayed because everything yeah. changes. Yeah. And it's just like, dude, just get the fuck over. You're not going to get what you want all the fucking time. Stop it. Stop acting like a little baby. Can you put that on the waiver at the front <laughs> desk of the yoga studio? No, seriously. Dear <laughs> yoga student who's about to buy a pass, <laughs> fucking get over it. You're not going to get everything you want. The room won't be the perfect temperature. You're not going to like all of the music. You're not going to love all of the poses. Not everyone's going to smell the way you want them to. And sometimes your favorite teacher is going to be on vacation and you're not going to like the substitute. <laughs> fucking get over it. <laughs> oh, man. Angry, grumpy yogis. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So then, if that's method, then how about result? How, how, what's a tangible way of, of sort of giving well, giving people a tool for like ability to deal with a situation where your desire is not fulfilled exactly the way you want it when you want it with a, a sense of grace and equanimity and and non attachment. Like oh. That's kind of a bummer, but you know, I'm all good. I'm just gonna now have some free time. I'm out here. What else can I do? Mm -hmm. You know, and just being in that state of flow and acceptance and equanimity, I think that's amazing. Like I much prefer that. Yeah, me too. You know, personally, <laughs> so. it's much more fun. Yeah. So today my guru was Comcast. <laughs> <laughs> my great teacher was Comcast. I called to. Uh, to make some changes to my account and then get sent through the telephone tree for like an hour right. and then have to employ the ability to accept the changing circumstances as they are and right. not project my idea that I'll get my Comcast conversation done and my account updated in 15 mm -hmm. minutes instead of an hour and 15 minutes. Yeah. And other people might find that easy and find something else difficult, but this is like the, the yeah. opportunities to apply this view method result right. kind of um, tool are innumerable they show up for me in my daily life mm -hmm. all the time mm -hmm. and show me if i'm in reactivity i instantly suffer right and if i'm not in reactivity there's a lot of room and a lot of space and i can just yeah. laugh and stay in a basic state of sanity and joy right and it's like uh you, you talked about earlier about the possibility of liberation and i think like in every instant there's a possibility of a liberated response Mm -hmm. And there's a possibility of a conditioned response that hooks us. Right. And the fact that yoga could, could produce more moments of life that are liberated than moments we suffer. Right. And that that possibility might get missed in right. favor of pursuing constant sense gratification. I, I, I'm not okay with that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad I, you're finally sharing your feelings. <laughs> I think you're opening up here. 
I feel your heart chakra opening. Totally. And your throat chakra is totally blossoming oh, right yes. now. It's just so amazing. Oh, yeah. So beautiful. Is it blue? <laughs> <laughs> you see all 16 petals. <laughs> <laughs> I don't see it, but I feel it. I feel it. Good, good. <laughs> all right. Well, you feel completely, completely yeah. ranted. Yeah, I think it's good. Good. That was good therapy. That was good yoga therapy. Yeah, I feel much yeah. better. Yeah. All right, man. Thanks for listening. See you next time. Okay. Peace. Bye.